Good morning. Dr. Vody Bachman holds degrees from Houston Baptist University, a BA in Christianity and a BA in Sociology, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, MDiv, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Doctor of Ministry degree, and an honorary degree from Southern California Seminary, a DD and additional postgraduate studies at the University of Oxford in England. Bodhi and his wife Bridget have been married since 1989. They have nine children and are committed home educators. Bodhi Bauckham wears many hats. He is a husband, father, former pastor, author, professor, conference speaker, and church planter. Presently, he is serving as the Dean of Theology at African Christian University in Lusaka, the capital city of Zambia, Africa. But Bodhi did not hear the gospel until he was in college. His journey to faith was a very unusual and intellectual one. He understands what it means to be a skeptic. And here, in his own words, is how he describes his early years. I was raised in South Central Los Angeles. I was raised by a single teenage Buddhist mother. So yes, I was a fatherless young black man growing up in the ghetto of South LA. Drug infested, gang infested South LA. The police so to speak, who policed my neighborhood were from the famous, infamous, depending on who you're asking, Rampart Division. You don't even have to be from L.A. to have heard about the Rampart Division. The Rampart Division was the baddest gang in L.A. They made sure we knew that. Several family members of mine have spent most of their adult life in prison. There are two first cousins of mine who have been gunned down in the streets. I come from a family of activists. I come from a family that was associated with black power, black nationalism, the nation of Islam, protests, and a whole civil rights movement. Folks, Vody Bachman Jr. is a from rags to God's masterpiece story. Can you imagine from the ghetto of L.A. to becoming a leading spokesman, preacher among conservative evangelicalism? It's unbelievable. From rags to God's masterpiece. Turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to the Apostle Paul's letter to the saints who are in Ephesus. That's how the recipients of this letter are described in verse 1. You see it there? To the saints who are in Ephesus. Notice verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The Apostle Paul then continues in verses 3 through 14. And remember, that is one long sentence in the original language. He continues by laying out ten specific spiritual blessings 
that belong to those who are saints or believers, which includes anyone and everyone who has heard the gospel and by faith are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. That's how you and I become saints, by trusting Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Not that we're perfect, but we are forgiven. Because Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, or the righteous for the unrighteous, or the sinless one for sinners, so that he might bring us safely home to God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And my dear Rock Community Church saints, this is not an exhaustive list of God's blessings, but it does make us stop and think. It's almost overwhelming. The next sentence in the Greek starts in verse 15 and runs all the way through to the end of the chapter. So in the original language, chapter 1 from verses 3 all the way to 23 consists of just two sentences. In verse 15, the Apostle Paul is speaking of his prayer for these saints who are at Ephesus. He prays for two things for them. Verse 17, that the God of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And secondly, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? So that you will know three things. What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? You know, that's a great prayer. One that we can be praying for the Rock Community Church. And for those whom we love and care for, and even for ourselves. And that brings us to the passage that we want to focus on this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. In these verses, the Apostle Paul guides them through their own, from rags to God's masterpiece story. He wants them... And by extension, he wants you and I to not lose sight of where we have come from, how we got here, and what now. If you are able, I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading from God's Word, beginning at verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, 
and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in all the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This is God's word for us today. Please be seated. Father, you have disclosed yourself to us, first in creation, but then more specifically in the pages of this book, the Bible. With that in mind, we want to make Paul's prayer for the saints who were at Ephesus our prayer this morning. May you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that we will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Teach, rebuke, correct, and train us in righteousness so that we are adequate, both individually and collectively as a localized expression of the body of Christ by the power of your Spirit and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is our story. You may want to take a pen or a highlighter and mark, first of all, you were, in verse 1. Then, but God, in verse 4. And finally, we are, in verse 10. Those three short phrases offer a great outline for the Apostle Paul's guided tour of our from rags to God's masterpiece story. Look again at verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That you at the beginning of the sentence is a second person plural. Our second son is married to a girl from South Carolina. They are now living in South Carolina, Charleston to be precise. And in South Carolina, you hear a lot of y'alls. Y'all want to come over? And that would actually be a better translation here. And y'all were dead 
in your trespasses and sins. The Apostle Paul was speaking of all the saints who were at Ephesus and applies to all saints everywhere for all time. You see, unbelievers are defined as being dead in their trespasses and sins. Apostle Paul may be emphasizing our status by employing repetition or restatement. Trespasses and sins are practically synonymous. We trespass when we step out of bounds. God has clearly drawn lines in the sand as revealed in his word, the scriptures. And so consciously or unconsciously, we cross those lines. We trespass. Sin, on the other hand, is simply missing the mark. We may be aiming at the bullseye and miss the mark. At other times, we're not even the least bit interested in even taking aim. Why would that be? Paul identifies three influences that discourage us from taking aim, from wanting to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. They, these influence can, in fact, impair us to the point where we are dead men and dead women walking. Notice verse 2, in which you formerly walked. Meaning the way we go about living our lives according to the course of this world. That's the first influence that impairs us so that we are dead men and women walking. The world. J.B. Phillips' translation of Romans chapter 12, verse 2 reads, And do not let this world squeeze you into its mold. In other words, resist, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that, purpose statement, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Or we can be dead in our trespasses and sins. And the world will celebrate and do all that it can to affirm you in that choice. Let's continue reading verse 2. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Influence number one was the world. Influence number two, the devil. Satan and his minions will do all that they can to disrupt and derail the plans of God for your life. They will use any means possible. And of this you can be sure. It always leads to destruction and death. Satan is a master deceiver, manipulator, 
And according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He feeds and facilitates our acts of disobedience. Notice verse 3. Among them, we too all formally lived. Notice, Paul is not giving himself a free pass here. He too was dead in his trespasses and sins. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, speaking of our insatiable appetites that desire to control us, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is not just a behavioral problem. Our desires and our thinking have been infected. So the influences are external, the world, spiritual, the devil and his minions, and internal. Verse 3 continues, Among them we too all formally lived, and were by nature children of wrath. We were, first of all, dead in our trespasses and sins. And secondly, we were by nature children of wrath. By nature. In other words, at the very core of our being, we are broken. Theologians refer to this as the depravity of man. Left to ourselves, we are incapable of living up to the standard of perfection that God requires for relationship with Him. As a result of Adam and Eve's failure at the very beginning, all of us are by nature children of wrath. Notice the end of verse 3, even as the rest. The psalmist recognized this reality. In Psalm 51, verse 5, he wrote, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, confirms the same. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Beloved, there are no exceptions. It doesn't matter how exceptional you may think you are, or how many others may be telling you how exceptional you are. This is the truth, according to God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you were by nature a child of wrath. And yes, that is as bad as it sounds. And it would serve us well to come to grips with this reality. Don't be too quick to blow past this bad news in a rush to get to the good news. Jesus himself said in defense of a woman, I tell you, her sins, 
and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. In reality, the extent of our need for God's forgiveness surpasses human comprehension. We can't get our heads around it. But that should not be used as an excuse that would allow us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Always remember, the person who has been forgiven much loves much. One of my favorite verses to think about when we're invited to participate at the Lord's Supper is found in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And that brings us to the good news of the gospel, found in verses 4 through 6. This is our story. Notice how verse 4 begins. But God. Beloved, that is the turning point of the game. It is the hinge moment in our own personal stories when everything changes. And notice it has nothing to do with you or me. This is all about Him. As a friend of mine would always say, this is a God story. The Apostle Paul mentions two specific qualities or characteristics or perfections of God that are foundational to what happens in the lives of people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and are by nature children of wrath. Number one, His mercy. But God being rich in mercy. That reminds me of a song that we often sing. The chorus is, Our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn, Our sins they are many, His mercy is more. The difference between mercy and grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 That is what we deserve. But His mercy is more. And number two, His great love. Because of his great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trans transgressions. John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 captures it so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Being rich in mercy, God demonstrates his own love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Paul continues by describing what happened when you became a recipient of his mercy and great love. Three things God's mercy and love moved him to do on our behalf. Verse 5, he made us alive together with Christ. And then in my translation, it's in parentheses, by grace you have been saved. The first part of verse 6, he raised us up with him. Second half of verse 6, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. The bad news was that we were in a predicament that we could not escape. The good news is, is that God intervened. He took the initiative and did for us what we could never do on our own. He not only didn't give us what we deserve, He gave us what we did not deserve and could never earn. In my translation, it is presented as a parenthetical statement. By grace, you have been saved. You are dead in your trespasses and sin, and by nature, children of wrath. But God, because of his mercy and great love towards you, by grace, saved you from all of that. He made you alive, raised you up, and seated you with Christ. This is our story. And now, we are. Look at the first part of verse 10. For we are His workmanship. The New Living Translation reads, For we are God's masterpiece. Take a moment and ponder that thought. You as an individual, we as a local church, the Rock Community Church, are God's masterpiece. Have you ever seen something that you would say is a masterpiece? Well, when you get home today, go look in the mirror. You may see a lot of flaws, but this is God's Word. You are his masterpiece. Or just take a moment and look around this worship center. We are God's masterpiece. I'm not suggesting that it's the finished product. The verb here in verse 10 is presented is a present active indicative. 
It's an ongoing project. But God considers us to be his masterpiece. Why? Why would he bother? Why does anyone set out to create a masterpiece? In verse 7 through 10, we find three so that clauses. You may want to circle them. They're found at the beginning of verse 7, in the middle of verse 9, and then at the end of verse 10. Remember, so that indicates purpose. Verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That seems like a run-on sentence that's hard to get our minds around. The New Living Translation may help here. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. God wants us to become his display windows for his grace and kindness. Like those display windows in the stores downtown. God wants to pour out his grace and kindness into our lives so that others, as they walk by, will be enticed to consider coming in and investigating a relationship with him. Perhaps even make a personal investment. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that, purpose statement, no one may boast. That's our second so that. Verses 8 and 9 are explaining the surpassing riches of God's grace, referred to in verse 7. They also elaborate on the parenthetical statement found earlier in verse 5. By grace you have been saved. You see, it is by grace, God's unmerited favor and enablement, that is the basis of our salvation. Faith, or trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, is the means by which we receive this wonderful gift, whereby we go from from being dead in our trespasses and sins and children of wrath to being made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, puts it this way. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right 
with God by obeying the law. So that no one may boast. Our only comp contribution are our trespasses and sins. The law is there not to be kept as a means of earning God's favor, but as an impossible standard exposing our need. That's like a mirror showing us who we really are. By nature, children of wrath. We are His workmanship. His masterpiece. So that we become display windows of His grace. So that we have nothing of which we can boast. And thirdly, so that we can do what He's prepared in advance for us to do. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that, purpose statement, we would walk in them. I find it interesting that we will memorize verses 8 and 9 that speak of God's wonderful gift of salvation and almost forget about verse 10. You see, your story ought to be the fuel that empowers you, motivates you, inspires you to serve Him by serving others. Our Christian service is an expression of gratitude for all that God has done for us. Nothing more and nothing less. And to not roll up our sleeves and get involved, well, that's just rude. A display of ingratitude. Like when Jesus healed those ten lepers and only one returned to say thank you. That offends our sensibilities, does it not? And yet how many of us accept God's gift of salvation and then spend the rest of our lives living for ourselves, fulfilling our appetites, pursuing our hopes and dreams. And it's not that the tasks are too hard to do. Love one another. Show hospitality to, toward one another. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also consider the interests of others. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. And remember, beloved, we have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. So what is the problem? Perhaps we not heeded the warning in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Perhaps we're living under the influence. The world, the devil, and the flesh. As Paul mentions earlier in verses 1 through 3. Brothers and sisters, what are we doing? We have been made alive, raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And yet, listen to these instructions from Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. None of us will ever be saved by our good works. But we are saved for good works. Good works do not earn your salvation, but your salvation empowers you to do the good works God has prepared in advance for you to do. They're custom made. Walk in them. That's how verse 10 ends. Walk in them. This is our story. Both heavenly minded and earthly good. In your response to our study of this passage this morning, I'd encourage us to take time this week to reflect on our own story your before, how, after. If you've never taken the time to write it out, I would encourage you to do that. Take a sheet of paper and write down those titles. Before, leave some space. How, leave some space. After, use those as the headings. And then under each heading, write two or three bullet points. Describing what your life was like before trusting Christ. How did it come about that you trusted Christ? And be really specific so that when you tell someone your story or when they read these bullet points, they would be able to follow in your footsteps and find themselves trusting Christ as well. you've already written your story, take, take it out and review it. Ponder the miracle that God has done in your life. You are His masterpiece. Let's live accordingly. Father, You are an awesome God. You reign from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. 
Your holiness makes you unapproachable and inaccessible. And yet you took the initiative to come to us in the person of Jesus, God dressed in human flesh. Thank you for your grace and mercy. The great love with which you loved us so that we can ask for forgiveness for our trespasses and sins and by faith begin trusting Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He gave his life so that we might be made alive, raised up, and seated in the heavenlies with him. What a gift. Your sense of gratitude empower us to fulfill all that you have prepared in advance for us to do. By the power of your spirit, for your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.